Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hello, I'm Bala Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Today, we are excited to be joined by Larry Ludwig. Larry is the founder and CEO of Ludwig Media Inc. He also founded Investor Junkie, which he sold for $6 million several years ago. We had a great conversation and interview, so uh, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, this is a great interview, Bela. But before we begin, we want to share with you that our podcast is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. This is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to us. Bela, you know this firm well, don't you? I sure do. I have worked with the key entrepreneurship partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Their attorneys take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters, and they have a long history of success with startups. We thank Phillips Lytle for their support of the entrepreneurial community and their sponsorship of the Unconventional Path podcast. Thanks, Bela. And with that, let's move to the interview with Larry Ludwig. Hello. Hello, Larry. How are you? Hey, hey Bella. What's going on? Uh, well, it's a rainy day here. Where Where are you located? So I am up near in upstate New York, uh, near Lake okay. George. How about you? Okay. Yeah, not that far away. I'm in Long Island, so about 25 miles east of uh, New York City. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so you're you're pretty close to uh, the hot spot. Well, Nass- even Nassau County is the hot spot, unfortunately. I mean, it's pretty bad here. Uh, I forget the latest stats. My wife works at the uh, local hospital. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty bad. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting times for sure, isn't it? <laughs> Understatement, yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't think any of us, I mean... I don't think any of us predicted this would happen. I mean, the my wife was saying the other day, if you told me like three months ago it would be in a major pandemic, uh, she would think I'm crazy. Yeah. yeah. You would have told me three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I would have said yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it yeah. is remarkable. Things can change, yeah, within a heartbeat. And yeah, I mean, definitely that's, as a business owner, you definitely have to be constantly on your toes. I mean, without question. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really it really sort of demonstrates how fragile everything really is. Yeah. I mean, without question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it sort of puts things in perspective. We have all this stuff. We do all these things, but wham, just this little thing that you can't even see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. I mean, definitely, I think in retrospect, we'll look back to this and see, you know, a lot of things change, you know, as far as human behavior over time. Yeah. I mean, some of it, some of it will be temporary. You know, we have very short memories. I mean, if you look at nine eleven. You know, after a few years, things sort of got back to normal. We'll probably have the same thing, but some things didn't change even after yeah. 9-11. Yeah. Hey, well, Larry, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Uh, I appreciate it very much. Um, thank you. So if you're ready, let's uh, dive right in. Sure. Go ahead. Perfect. So, uh, Larry, if you are at a social event and uh, you meet someone for the first time and after your pleasantry introductions... They ask you, oh, Larry, so nice to meet you. What do you do? How do you answer that question? Uh, well, right in this environment, we wouldn't shake hands. Um, <laughs> um, in all seriousness, I mean, I guess, you know, it, it's interesting. I guess I would best describe myself as a technologist at heart. Um, I've definitely been about technology uh, since go, even before what I'm doing now. So I've always been about technology. And I think in the end, I would say I, I help I help other people improve their lives is really what it comes down to uh, at a base core level. Uh, but outside of that, I would say I'm a web developer, web designer, you know, a marketer, mm-hmm. uh, those type of 
generic terms that people would understand. But I, I think from a core philosophy, I'm much more about you know helping others improve themselves. Yeah, excellent. So you said you're a technologist. Uh, uh, what education do you have? I uh, got a computer science degree at Clemson University uh, in 1993. And, you know, it's interesting. Back then, the, the web was obviously just at its very much infancy. Uh, before that, really, even before the web existed. And I saw that once I graduated, saw that was the future and didn't have, there wasn't really any jobs out there, you know, developing websites, hosting websites, that, that type of thing. So I initially took a, a regular job at some uh, company developing code. And then about a year and a half, two years later, you know, started a firm uh, or worked for a firm called Poppy Tyson, who developed some of the first, very first websites out there. So I worked, they wound up developing uh, web, the White House's website uh, and also Netscape. And from that, you know, helped build some of the very first websites like for Chase, OG's Minolta, uh, ING Bank, you know, stuff like that. It was a pretty amazing time. Wow. So that's that's really at the the dawn of that uh, whole era of websites. The Stone Age, yes. Yeah. Well, I, the dawn. I don't call it the Stone Age. Um, and, and so, uh, when you graduated, did you, did you think about starting your own business? Did you have an entrepreneurial bug your whole life or is it something that sort of triggered later? Um, well, it's funny. My exit interview from the college, they asked me, <clears throat> what do I want to do? And I said, I definitely want to own a business. And I just always had that bug. Even I wrote about this as one of my emails in my uh, email sequence. Uh, you know, I always had this bug and I think it's sort of generated from my father that it just, I mean, control your own destiny, have your own fate, uh, and really make sure you you have you know a predetermined destiny, or or making sure you become something that you want to be, as opposed to going, you know, I, what I, I guess I looked at is always that rocking chair syndrome, where you don't want to be 95 and going, you know, I wish I did this, I wish I did that, I have these regrets, yeah, and just decided, you know, I think owning a business, it, it, it definitely not an easy path by any means, uh, making sure that I went down that path. Yeah. So did your father own a business? He did not. He wound up never really owning a business. And it's, I mean, it's one hand, it's, it's his father owned a business, but I never, he never did. But he, I could see, you know, some of that regret in him uh, when he was alive, where he just did not, uh, he regretted not owning his own business. So yeah. I guess that pain kind of motivated. It's like you either become your parents or you do the exact opposite. In this case, you know, I decided, you know, my, I saw the pain of my father and, and decided to start my own business. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when I was pre preparing for this, I was reading your bio. And and I think you said you went to work for Poppy Tyson. Yep. And and uh, at what point in time did you say, okay, um, I'm I'm handing in my badge and I'm gonna go uh, go start something on my own? Well, that was uh, if I let's see, that was so Poppy Tyson. Then I worked for another. I worked for a Wall Street firm uh, in between there, and then went for a company, Commerce One, uh, in between that. So oh, I really didn't right. start a business full time. I I did part time business. Around starting 97, 98, mm -hmm. a friend of mine. Yes. Uh, but it was a side gig, a side hustle. And then really in 99, decided to go full time. Okay. So that's when you left Commerce One. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what was the trigger? Was there a trigger point there? Did you just wake up one morning in a hot sweat and say, I, I got to do this? Or I, I'm always curious about those things. Kind of what makes people make that step? Yeah. Because it, it is a big leap. And it was at the time, you know, I've, I've recanted the story previously. It's It was, I was so nervous that, you know. Uh, doing this business, you know. Meanwhile, I had other partners helping me, you know, back me up financially and uh, you know, otherwise. Had uh, you know, I just had myself. I had just a condo. That's all I had. So I didn't have really. You know, I didn't have a family. I didn't have anything that most people would think are inhibitors to prevent uh, your success in starting a business and fail. 
Uh, so therefore, I had really nothing to lose. And But it, at the time, I was very nervous about it and decided, you know, really, I think it's now or never. It's either do it now or, you know, I'll lose this opportunity. If worse, it fail and just go back to working for someone else, I guess is what I thought of. I thought, you know, what do I have to lose? And so I really, it, but it was a nervous event. It was definitely nerve wracking. But in, in retrospect, I learned a lot from that. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the, what was the first business? Uh, talk about the first, talk about the first month of life after you left Commerce One. Um, well, the first, well, they actually asked me to come back uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I did for a little bit. So there was that definitely that push and pull uh, because if they were tang- dangling a lot of stock options in front of me and this is before they went public, they soon went public a few uh, months after and I did very well with that. But, um, it was, you know, I was always questioning, you know, am I doing the right thing? Is the right path for me? And in some ways it wasn't the right path starting with these partners I had. But uh, I'd learned, as far as monetarily wise, I probably would have been better off staying at Commerce One, at least temporarily, because they eventually, <laughs> they also went bankrupt at some point <clears throat> in 2001, I think. So people had shares. I had friends of mine who had you know, thousands of shares that were literally worthless, on top of then the tax gains, the phantom tax gains they owed. So it was double jeopardy for them. Uh, but with that said, I guess for me, the first month, it was, um, you know, I was definitely wanting to take the bull by the horns and making sure. Uh, everything was, you know, started off on the right foot and it just was a slow, you know, no business starts instantly from zero to 60. It takes, you know, every step of the way, it's a little bit incremental. Yeah. And it's like weeds growing or like grass growing. It's a very slow process. Yes. So I wanted things to, you know, happen overnight, but just the reality is that doesn't happen that way. Yeah. So did you have like uh, the traditional business plan and try to go find investors or uh, talk to me about that a little? Um, no, the, the business partners I had were really the, the silent business partners where they helped me both in terms of guidance and also the financial part of it. So really they were the ones with the money. Um, for me, it was just purely, uh, you know, I had an existing web hosting business on the part-time side gig and they wanted to, you know, ramp it up and make it full time. So they were helping me fund all the hardware and software to build that business. And so the first business was describe the first business. It was web hosting, web development. Okay. Uh, and, and for horrible, pers- horrible, horrible business to be in, by the way. Uh, well, uh, but at that time, nobody knew how to do it, right? Uh, even still, it was commodity. Um, you know, people. It's interesting. Administration or system administration, which you know is my background as well. Uh, people, if you've not seen or not heard, you're doing your job very well. And it's one of those things. If you're, you have to be kind of in the front, forefront, telling people what you're doing. Otherwise, it, I don't think it really is respected as an industry. Meaning. Yeah. You know, you want maximum uptime, little downtime. You want to make sure things are up 24-7. And it's it's a lot harder than it looks, even in today's day with cloud computing. Uh, but it was something where it's just, it's a, it was even a commodity back then. You know, yeah. People really compete on disk space, you know, amount of hardware or amount of uh, CPU power you give them or, or other metrics that are just silly in the end. What really matters, at least especially nowadays, is how well you keep the things running 24-7. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so how, how big, uh, on day one, was it just you? Or did it you have was a couple of just, other folks? Well, I had two other partners, which were working, again, they're more silent, but they offered some guidance and yeah. some assistance for, as far as sales is concerned. Uh, but it was mostly me, yeah, initially. Yeah. And so who was your typical customer back in those days? Uh, it varied, again, depending on the project. Either it was web hosting where small businesses where, you know, let's say, under 20 employees to some of the designs development we did could be a few hundred people. Oh, okay. And, and those were, uh, like 
consulting pro I mean, by the hour, is it sort of a, a by the hour business or a fixed price? Or? I mean, they were both, they were both monthly fees where it was for hosting. It was a monthly fee, be it sure. depending on what level of uh, hardware they needed to, you know, web development, it was more hourly contractual, you know, based on, you know, flat fee. We're going to charge X dollars to develop this feature functionality. Yes. And then, and then what'd you do after that? What was to uh, wind that story up for me? Okay, so that was so 2001 hit. Uh, we lost actually one of our data centers because of the power supply. Um, eventually, they lost the amount of diesel fuel to the generator. So they actually had to shut down the whole data center. Uh, so we literally lost half our customer base. Fortunately, we did not have all our servers in one uh, data center. So that was an experience in into itself. I literally had to go down to uh, the Twin Towers and go get around, try to figure out how to get around uh, the blockades and get to my data center so I can restart these servers. Uh, so that soon after that, the I guess the partnership I had with the partners just kind of fell, fell just fell apart. It was just not working for them yeah. or for us. Or for yeah, me. sure, that happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. So in 2002, I decided to bring on a new partner for the same business. So I acquired those assets and then started the web hosting web development. Still, not you know, I guess not taking enough punishment. And decided to keep doing it on my own uh, with a, another partner. I, so that partner stayed with me for about two years. Yes. And after that, um, I decided he decided literally it just wasn't working out and dumped all the assets into my home one day. Uh, and uh, I was fully on my own for until 2000. Well, even I shut it down the web hosting uh, December, not December. I just shut it down March last year. Okay. 2019. Okay. So I kept it just running since then, but I, I really grew it from really till 2010, 2011. Yeah, yeah. And, and so what's been your focus the, the, the last period of time? Well, I mean, in 2009, I, I, I was really frustrated with the business. Like I said, web hosting and web development is just a crappy business to be in. Uh, it's really a commodity, and I don't think people respect the work you do. So I said, well, I'm, I'm working for a lot of you know these well-known sites, well-known blogs, why can't I just monetize, create my own and monetize it myself? Why not create my own business? And, you know, I had it already an interest in investing. So I figured out to create Investor Junkie. You know, this is, you know, 2009, still sort of getting out of the financial crisis of that, that era. And felt, you know, why not? I, I would, you know, I didn't have any issues in terms of debt. And most of the blogs out there are about getting out of debt or more kind of how my journey through, you know, getting out of debt and eventually uh, to the path of success. I'm like, well, I'm not in that situation. It doesn't really speak to me. I had, you know, I had business debt, but I didn't have really much personal debt. And I wanted something to help speak to me more about investing, which I already knew about, but wanted to really help others in that process. So I created the site Investor Junkie and grew it from there. It was just based on affiliate marketing only. And, and so describe uh, what you mean by affiliate marketing. Um, affiliate marketing, in simple terms, is where you're selling someone else's product or service. As a, through a merchant. So a merchant has a, a specific link that then you get paid when someone signs up or buys that product. Okay. Uh, and you only get paid if they buy that product. Uh, okay. And if they click on it and don't do anything, unlike an ad banner, you get nothing. Right. So uh, one of the ones, for whatever reason, uh, I, that comes to mind when you describe that is is, is like bankrate.com. Yep. Uh, where you, you know, it looks like they're they're sort of telling you about the various different credit cards that you can get and the various different deals. And they are aggregating that information and knowledge and putting it in one place. And then they get paid when you click on one of those and sign up for one of those credit cards. 
Yeah, I mean, in Bankrate's case, there may not be based on CPA, which is cost per action. They might be some of it might be CPC based on their model. Okay, but the concepts are the same. Concepts. In other the words, same. the bank rate. This is years ago. This model. This existed in the newspaper world when they were actually printing out weekly uh, bank rates, uh, where you'd show the CDs of you know the top CDs. Those top CDs were being monetized or paid by those banks. It was not for free. So they were even doing it in the offline world before they were probably quote unquote one of the first affiliate programs. Uh, even before it was online. So uh, that, yeah, that existed. And then they went online. And, and ironically, uh, NerdWallet was really a big competitor of them. I think they really ate their lunch and really, uh, you know, did the online space much better and much more effective than Bankrate ever did. Yes, yes. And so, so Investor Junkie, uh, what were sort of the, uh, the products and services that you, why would I want to go to Investor Junkie? So if I'm a, if I'm a customer, how do I, why do I want to go there? Well, that, ironically, I didn't monet, I didn't have any courses. I mean, I, I at some point, if I was still owning it, I probably I probably would be creating courses and more things to monetize. Uh, but it was purely monetized through affiliate offers. So the the reason why it would go to my site was for the inside analysis and reviews we did, the comparisons of the products and services out there, the promotions that were available for these various services. So the goal was to make sure we educated and informed and you know if there were special deals right. you know tell them about those deals on top of you know stuff that was not monetized either let's say through just education on how to invest the basics right so so you did provide some some content and some educational elements to it it wasn't mm-hmm. just an aggregation of these affiliates well right? no i mean the, so that's what that's end, what drives me to come there right i can learn something well exactly that was my point is the i think most people miss out is the with affiliate marketing you know, you, you, you put a link on your site and instantly people will click on it and you'll make millions of dollars. That's not the way, <laughs> right. that's not the way it works. Um, you have to, I mean, you're laughing, but that's what I think a lot of people get this conception of like, you know, affiliate marketing and you just, you know, click your way to a success and it just doesn't work that way. You have to add value. Yes. To your point, you have to add, you know, the, our value was the reviews, the insight analysis, the comparisons, the detailed objective details, the objective information we offered for the various readers. Yes. And instead of monetizing through ad banners, we did it through affiliates. Yeah. And so how did you drive customers and users like myself to come to your website? Talk to me about how you got people to come there. Uh, it was mostly through organic traffic or SEO. Um, most, I mean, the thing that's interesting, so I have a course on this too, and it's, uh, I didn't really realize this or understood this until I you know, did the research. From the analysis, about 60 to 85 of all traffic, 85%, that is, uh, 65 to 85% come from organic search. So if you're focusing on like paid traffic, let's say, or, or social media or what have you, while that's not a bad idea, I think that's great, you should diversify. If you're not focusing on SEO as the primary driver of traffic, you're losing out on a huge audience just by its very nature. Yeah. So, so what were some of the lessons you learned about search engine optimization? Um, I guess the biggest, it's a long game. It's not something you can, unlike paid traffic, we can instantly turn off and on and see how successful you are. If you measure it properly, it could take literally months before you get those, that feedback. But the goal is you should, it's a long game. So it can take six months to a year before you really start improve, seeing noticeable results. So you got to plan it out and start writing content, start developing a strategy of what content works for SEL because of, in the end, like any other, it's a sales funnel. It's no different. Most people don't think of SEO as a sales funnel, but it is. Be it for your own product or service or through a merchant. Yeah. And because, you know, you, you, you read about 
lots of uh, organizations that'll do S or help you do SEO, right? They'll come in and they'll optimize the words on your website for you and all that kind of stuff. So uh, if I'm a small business owner and I'm trying to figure out how to drive more business to my website, but I'm not a computer science graduate, right? I'm, I'm not a marketing person. Yeah. How's the best way for me to do that? That's a great question. I mean, in the end, I would say most of the low-end SEO companies stink. Uh, if anything, you're best suited to learn it, even though it might be initially painful and time-consuming. It's such to me. It's such an important skill. At some level, you should understand the basics. At least understand the basics. That may not mean you actually do it, but that it helps you understand who you should hire, who's really not understanding how SEO works, or or using outdated techniques, or who really knows their stuff. I think that's really critical because of most SEO companies, in my opinion, stink because they're just offering outdated advice. They're really, I can't say outright scams, but they're not. They're paying for a lot of money for little work yeah a little effort a little results where i think at minimum you should understand what it is and then start hiring people to understand your you know how to write seo that's seo friendly content that's i think the key is there's certain in the end you're you're writing content that's transactional and if anything nowadays with the way google works to, to your advantage the way google works and the way people read content and you know look for content are very much more aligned where years ago it was much more about gaming Google to rank for that content. So you'd write content that would be great for Google, but the person could care less about it. Yeah. Where they're much more in alignment. Google's AI technology is much more sophisticated and really mimics as if a person's reading your page and does all sorts of things like sentiment indicators or you know analysis of the grammar or how well it's – is this content relevant for other parts of the site? Is this person considered trustworthy or an expert in that said topic? And you have to show these kind of social proof who it actually can help you increase in your rankings, where it's much more these soft, you know, before it'd be all about links. You can have you know, more links to your site, the better you'd rank. Where nowadays you can actually rank for mid-level comp- comp- competitive keywords and have zero backlinks, as long as it's in that said topic or niche. So in other words, you know, let's say we're talking about investing. If I decide to talk about credit cards, it really doesn't fit the topic. So you're to rank for something in credit card space, is going to take a lot of effort. You have to really show your domain knowledge, your expertise in that said topic before Google will say, we're going to rank for you for that ke- so those said keywords. Otherwise, you're you're really spinning your wheels. So you've got to keep within your wheelhouse. Yes, yes. So there was a, I think, th- I, I want to emphasize this because I think there was a real good nugget of, of, uh, of recommendation there, observation on your part. And that is that if, if you're in, if you're selling stuff or, or you're doing business, or let me phrase it, if the website is important to you, then search engine optimization is so critical in that website, you better have some level of understanding as an entrepreneur. You can't farm all of that out. You can't sub all of that out. You have to have some level of understanding. Yeah, without question. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent advice. And and uh, so then what happened with Investment Junkie? So Investment Junkie I sold in 2018 um, and just decided to, you know, I, I guess... After I sold, I wanted to continue helping small business owners. I think a lot of people don't, they don't really monetize very effectively, you know, to the point of SEO being part of it is the understanding how SEO works, understanding the idea of a sales funnel and how to optimize along the way, understanding how to use affiliate marketing and how to, on both sides of the coin, both as a merchant and also as someone who just has a blog and you want to make more money. 
I think both are effective means to uh, use effective affiliate marketing. If you're not doing affiliate marketing at some level, I think you're losing losing out on a huge opportunity in my eyes. Yeah, yeah. And and so what what uh, unravel that onion a little bit more? Uh, let's layer that down. So what what are you kind of specifically doing? What type of businesses are you working with now? Um, anywhere from online uh, courses to e-commerce. I mean, it it really. De- I mean, the beauty of uh, the skills that I have is it really applies universally. I mean, I treated the affiliate marketing stuff as if it was our own products and services, and we were able to track and measure those conversions as if we were selling that actual product which most people in affiliate marketing, they're just happy to get a report that says we have five conversions and you know, we're done with it. In my eyes, it's more about optimizing. You know, to me, we were sending the right person to the right merchant as opposed to just getting a conversion and being happy. In the end, you want to have make sure everyone's happy. You want to make sure the, the visitors, the readers are happy. You want to make sure the merchant's happy. And in the end, you become happy by the affiliate commission. Yeah. We're not pushing various products just because of the higher payout. We're making sure this person fit it was a proper fit for this said service. And therefore, you know, our reviews, our comparisons, the tools we had was not only added value to the readers, but it made sure it sent the right person to the right service. Yes, yes. So uh, today, are you are you doing this, providing this service sort of as a consultant, or uh, how, are, how are you doing that? Uh, both. I think the, the high end, I'm offering consulting. So I do consulting services for various firms. And then at the low end, you know, I'm offering courses uh, to help people who you know want to do the stuff but don't have the budgets you know required to do consulting one on one. Yes. Uh, so I have both. Yes. Yeah. Oftentimes, when you're when you're when your market is small businesses, one of the challenges often that they don't have a lot of capital to uh, mm-hmm. to pay you. It's hard to get paid sometimes, right? So they have a need, but they their their need to eat is higher than their need to hire you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although those yeah, two I- things can be related. <laughs> Yes. I mean, in the end, the uh, there's the technology out there is so cheap and so efficient. It's not it's not a cost on technology. It's just understanding how the technology right. works to your advantage. That's really the key nowadays. I think it's not, you know, like developing a blog or hosting a blog. I mean, you can literally do it in less than you know, a few minutes for you know, a few hundred dollars a, month, a year, if that. Where years ago, you know, I was unfortunate where we had to develop the stuff from scratch and it cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to build and could, could take months to build. So therefore, I mean, nowadays it's easier than ever to start this stuff and do the technology and have this, you know, one-on-one communication, these much more personalized communications uh, options. It were just, it were pie in the sky dreams when I first started. Nowadays yes. you can do it. You know, you can start up active campaign. You can do tools uh, with you know, using Google Analytics and get some data that, again, that was almost impossible to get 20 years ago. Yes, it really is remarkable. It's kind of the tools that are at your fingertips uh, to be able to market and promote. Uh, your products and reach out to various different segments of, of the marketplace. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just uh, phenomenal. So do you do some like uh, strategic uh, work with these folks as well to say, okay, let's think about the big picture. Where are you trying to go in your business and, and how, how can we get there? Or is it much more yeah. sort of uh, uh, you know, hammers and nails type of thing? Um, it could be both. I mean, it depends on the customer. I think there, there are some, I mean, ideally, it would be nice to have every customer who knows exactly what needs to be done, and they're just looking for you to best execute it. Uh, there are some that don't understand all the full capabilities of what I've just described. They don't understand the full, co- you know, abilities of the technology on the internet. And I think I can help. You know, I help both customers. It, it really depends. I mean, I have one customer who, you know, was having, um, you know, they had their own course and they had you know, conversions for that course, 
but they had no idea what the conversion rate was or the source of that traffic. You know, things that, to me, it's all about measuring this stuff. You can, again, the tools are so easily available. Uh, you can measure things that it just, again, was not technically possible 10, 20 years ago, where you should be measuring every step of the way and, and optimizing for it. Yes. And there, that's where you know, conversion rate optimization comes as well, is making sure, you know, okay, first of all, getting the right amount of traffic, getting the right traffic. Then, you know, getting into a landing page and seeing what they're doing on a landing page. Then are they, what are they doing? You know, are they signing up? Are they converting or not? You know, then you can even do stuff post sales. Once they convert, you know, are certain you know, audiences might be better than others for a bit higher lifetime value. So you kind of have to look at the bigger picture and it can be every step of the way. But again, this one customer didn't have the data. They were assuming they were getting these customers from their Facebook ads when in reality, most of their traffic was coming from their affiliates. And it was a big surprise for them. And it's just something that, Again, you, you kind of like, well, they were like, well, we kind of know this is where our traffic's coming from, but they didn't really know for a fact. And I showed exactly where their source of the traffic was. And then therefore they focused on not only was it just a certain, you know, just affiliates, but specific affiliates were generating, I think it was like 80, 90% of their revenue. So they went to them and said, hey, we'll increase your payouts and can you do this, that, and the other thing. Yes. Yes. Oh, very good. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who own businesses out there that sell, let's say a product of some sort. And, and they think about, okay, I'm going to just sell it on Amazon. I'm just going to sell it on Etsy uh, or maybe even eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about that approach and sort of what advice can you give people who, who want to use that or are thinking about, I would say want to, but are thinking about using that mechanism for reaching customers? Yeah, I mean, it's very popular this day and age. I mean, obviously, from a search engine, uh, Amazon's considered, I think, number two or number three in popularity. So by all means, if you're not if you're not on Amazon, you're you're missing out on a huge audience. But and this goes back to no different than say Facebook or or any social media platform for that matter is you don't own that platform. You know, Amazon can shut you down. Where Amazon, which has done, is literally say they see popularity in a said product and say, okay, we're going to now offer it ourselves uh, through Amazon Basics, and therefore you you literally can lose you know business overnight. So you not to say you should ignore that channel. But it's you've got to realize you don't own that channel. So by all means, you should be thinking about having your own brand, your own website, and building that out as well, as opposed to just relying on Amazon or Facebook. Yes. You know, people think of these. I've seen so many businesses go, you know, literally over go bankrupt overnight because of Facebook decided to change their algorithm, or again, Facebook decides to ban you, and then where are you, where are you as a business? There is no business. Yes, and you don't own your customers, right? Facebook owns them, or Amazon owns them. So, you know, lesson 101 that I, that I teach in my business classes is you want to own your customer. You want to know who they are, right? I mean, it, it is one interesting thing, and I agree with – I mean, I agree money is in the mailing list. And you should have a mailing list. But the interesting thing that most people don't think about is who, mostly, uh, who controls most of the email accounts out there. And it's still Google. So Google is still a gatekeeper, even though, you know, money is in the list and you want to make sure you have a mailing list. Uh, you still have to get through that gatekeeper. I've seen stats from my own testing where if you just put into a promotional tab as opposed to the inbox, uh, your open rate can decrease like 10%. Uh, and it's so dramatic. It can mean a huge difference in your sales. So you got to make sure you not only realize that you know there's still other gatekeepers involved, even if you have a mailing list, but you should also make sure you test things out. There are tools you can make sure you get delivered to the inbox and test before you send out that you know email to your 10,000 customers. Right, right, right. Wow, that's really interesting. Uh, so, if if someone was uh, willing, you know, getting ready to embark on a business and and sort of uh, selling digitally, whether it be on their own website or or whatever, 
is important to them. What sort of three or four key pieces of advice would you give them? Well, one is definitely have your own website. Like we said, control. I'm making sure I have some control over that, your, your destiny. Uh, the other, I guess it depends if it's a product or online service. In both apply the, the basics is you got to make sure you get SEO traffic. So making sure you have an audience and have the right audience. I mean, I, I, I've talked about this years ago. So I, I had an investor junkie a post about MLPs, Master Limited Partnerships. It's a very specific type of investment. And unknowns to me, I was getting a lot of traffic one day and did my research. It turns out MLP can also stand for My Little Ponies. <laughs> so I was getting tween girls looking at this post on investing that had absolutely nothing to do with MLP, you know, Master Limited Partnerships. So that's, you know, wrong audience. So the first rule, I, you know, I, I, I per- quickly figured out that was the issue and made sure I changed it to make sure we were not getting search traffic for My Little Ponies. So, um, that's yeah, a great that's story, one, but it's a great, it, but it's a great example. You got to make sure you understand, um, that you know, your audience matters. You can have, you know, it's not quant- quantity of traffic. It's the quality of the traffic. You know, I rather have 10 people to convert than a hundred thousand people that may have just a passing interest. I mean, the, the, these vanity stats of, you know, I have a thousand people liking my page or, you know, whatever, how many people on Instagram or what have you, uh, social media platform. What matters is conversions. I mean, what matters is customers. To me, those vanity metrics, while may help influence conversions, they're not true fans or true customers. You, you want those real customers in the end. So that's something I think a lot of people lose sight of, sight of as well. I guess outside of that, what other advice would I give? I guess the, you know, making sure you do incremental improvements over time. So instead of just, you know, building a website and be done with it, I always look at literally every day, what 1% improvement can I make in my, my, my website? What little change or tweak I can test and really get, make sure you get that feedback loop going, making sure you're measuring. To me, the, the two major factors are making changes, but also measuring to see if they're better or worse. You know, is this making improvements in your conversions? Is this making it worse? Are you increasing value to your customers? You know, that's, I think, the biggest mistake in uh, businesses, especially online. There's no reason not to measure stuff. Yes. So do you have, uh, do you have any favorite uh, website development tools? Oh, geez. Uh, you want to get more specific? I guess that could be a huge question. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if, look, if, if, if I'm going to start a business and I need to develop a website and I know nothing about it, how should I go about that? I mean, by all means, you should be using, at minimum, I think WordPress is a great tool, even though it's not perfect by But I mean, it depends on what you're doing. If you're doing purely a blog and it's informational products, WordPress can be great, even though it has things like WooCommerce to do, you know, physical products. Uh, outside of that, it, it really depends on what your needs are and what other tools, unfortunately, I mean, I found is you get stuck into certain tools and then you have to use other tools that work with that well. Otherwise, you're kind of stuck. Yes. So, uh, I mean, one of the things I've thought of is maybe at some point developing a website that literally allows you to say, I'm using Thrivecart as my shopping cart. Okay, what mailing list systems work with it? What membership sites work with it? And go down that that rabbit hole where, again, once you start using certain tools, you're kind of restricted of what path you can go with because not every tool works well with other tools yes. and some work better than others. Yeah, you get with locked that, in with others. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You get vendor locked in. So with that said, um, if you're doing just a very a very basic blog or website, WordPress, hands down, is to me the best flexibility, best option. In terms of commerce, I mean, you can use tools like WooCommerce or Shopify, which is really popular for you know, e-commerce. Uh, both are, you know, 
I, I would just say, out of the two, maybe Shopify is a little bit better, but uh, even you know Woo, WooCommerce is not bad. Yeah, oh, very good, very good. So, Larry, uh, what uh, what questions uh, have I not asked you that uh, are would be important for our audience to know about you or sort of your thoughts? Um, I guess I think the biggest issue like I was saying before, is making sure you measure. Uh, you need to measure what you're doing on your site and making sure, and it's every step of the way of your sales funnel, be it from the, the audience you're getting to the, you know, what are they doing on your pages, you know, measuring what they're doing, even using uh, things like Crazy Egg to measure, uh, you know, heat maps and or videos of actually people traversing your site and what they're clicking on or what they're not clicking on. I mean, I've seen, uh, analytics where people are clicking on areas that you, they think are buttons where in fact they're not. And that's e an easy win. We can easily add a link there or some, make changes where you can increase your conversions. So measuring every step of the way in your sales funnel and then getting that, once you get that feedback loop in place, you're making sure you make improvements and make these little minor tweaks. That's really what I think what made Investor Junkie successful was those, you know, where I started off was it's a long, you know, mountain to climb, but eventually, you know, the, the the conversions I had, the the reader retention we had, the uh, overall sales we had through the site was very successful because of those minor changes over the, the years I owned the site. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Great advice. So, Larry, let's wrap this up. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. Um, it was a real pleasure, and uh, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. You're very informative. Thank you. Wish you the best. Bela, the whole world of search engine optimization, affiliate marketing, and traffic management is always fascinating to me. The whole idea of actively managing leads and affiliates and having deeper awareness of who your customers are, I think is really important. And for entrepreneurs, there are a lot of tools out there. What have you learned over the past couple of years about how marketing has changed, particularly around e-commerce, search engine, and mobile? Well, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that, you know, when I started in business, uh, the whole notion of e-commerce, search, search engines, and mobile didn't exist. So it's a whole new field that has basically uh, been born 20 years ago or so. And, you know, Larry talked about how he was there uh, in those early days. And I think that the key important point here is, depending upon your business, sort of e-commerce, search engines, search engine optimization, mobile apps, et cetera, may be absolutely critical to your business, or it may be one of these things that's more of a, you have to have it, but it doesn't really, it's not the way you find your customers. I think all businesses have to have it, right? So you, we're just at that stage where, where you got to have a website, you got you to gotta have a Facebook page, you got to do all those things these days. You don't have much choice. Uh, but is it absolutely critical to your business or not? And I think that's a conversation and decision you need to have with yourself or your team and figure it out. If it is, I always like to think about anything that's absolutely important and critical to my business. I want to have the expertise within the four walls of my business to be able to do that task. I don't want to farm that out. If it, Which means if you don't have it, maybe you need to partner with a guy like Larry, let him train you, let him bring you up to speed. And then hire some some folks to to uh, to do that for you, or to do that for you within your company. Hire some employees. Uh, if it's not critical, then I think you can use a consultant to do those types of things. That's sort of how I think about business. 
If it's things that are really, really critical, I want to own that asset. I want to own that technology. I want it to be part of my enterprise value, <laughs> to go back to a, a previous guest who talked about enterprise value. Uh, and uh, if it's not, then it's something that I'm very comfortable sort of farming out. And let me give you just a simple example, right? Every company needs legal matters. And if you're small and you're not very large, chances are you probably haven't hired an, a, a, an attorney to be an employee. You have an outside firm that you hire because the, the need is absolutely important and critical, uh, but it's not continuous. You don't need it all the time. But as you grow and your company gets larger, you have more and more legal matters. And eventually, at some point, you will hire an attorney uh, to be your employee. So the same thing is true in, in this type of a space. Uh, think about, is it critical? Is it important to, for you right now? Uh, is it full-time? Is it, important? is it an important asset to your business? If it's an important asset to your business, then I think you want to have it internal. Yeah, and I think another way to look at this, Bela, is this idea we've talked about before of customer acquisition costs, CACs, right? And if customer acquisition costs are critical to your income statement, right, in terms of, okay, the main way we get our customer base is through the web, through mobile, through the internet, um, then really the cost of acquiring those customers is going to be this key piece of your expenses. It's often hidden uh, from when you're really looking at profit and loss. And this the, the amount you're paying in search engine, marketing, Facebook, things like that can really um, increase rapidly. Uh, and if you don't have a clear handle on what the return is, you might be wasting a lot of money or you might need a lot more money than you actually are planning to put into this. So I think, yeah, looking at this from the standpoint of customer acquisition costs is really important too. And is this a fixed expense where you want to hire somebody, right? A variable cost where you want to kind of do it yourself or kind of just a irregular expense where you use a gig worker or a consultant kind of model. Um, so maybe a nice another layer to put on this is, yeah, you know, here's how critical it is to our to our profit and loss. And therefore, here's how we should treat it in terms of fixed expense, you know, variable expense or a, an intermittent kind of um, kind of thing. So, yeah, I think we're on the same page as usual, Bela, on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. Uh, good point, Mike. Uh, yeah. You know, and there's this notion of, of kind of search engine optimization. And, and that is uh, really something that, uh, as Larry said, you know, it's kind of evolved uh, and it has it has morphed over the years. And sort of, again, if Internet search is important and critical to your business, um, you you got to sort of understand search engine optimization and how to get on the first page of the search, uh, as they say. And uh, it's a it's a skill. And there's people who who, you know, who go to school for that, who who, who get degrees in that and, and understand it very well. And I, and I think uh, as the, as time marches on, I actually think these things are getting more and more and more important. I mean, I just <clears throat> think about, you know, I never used to shop for anything online. I never used to do any research about anything online. Now I, now I always do. Uh, before I buy almost anything, um, I'm going online, I'm checking out companies, I'm checking out their products. That's how I'm learning. So you might say to yourself, well, no, I just run a little retail outlet or, or I sell industrial equipment to other companies, you know, and I have a sales force and that's how I generate all my stuff. Well, think about it this way. The, the first place I go, uh, whenever I'm thinking about buying something, 
or the first place I go when I hear about a new company from somebody else is I go to the web and I check out their web page. I check out sort of, you know, their reviews, uh, what's popping up on the internet. Uh, are they showing up when I type in various different search uh, terms, etc.? So this stuff is becoming more and more and more important for all businesses. And I think that, you know, the things that Larry talked about reinforce this. And it's, it's, it's an evolving technology. So you have to stay current with it. Yeah, the idea that Larry talked about, about the trade-off between visibility and control, I think was really fascinating and important. You know, the idea that, yeah, you have to be on Amazon, essentially, if you want to be a player, um, but you don't have control over your relationship with the customer. And how do you pick the right mix of channels, the right mix of tools to try to make sure that you're getting that visibility, but you're maintaining some control over your customers? And there's no easy answer to that is what it sounds like to me, but it's working with somebody who has the expertise to figure out the best path for the type of business that you're in, the stage of business that you're in. Um, so I thought that was just fascinating. Yeah. And, and like you said, the type of stage, the, the stage business you're in, because it changes with time, right? Amazon and Etsy and eBay are great ways to sort of test the market. They're, they're really low cost ways of, of sort of testing the market. If you have a new product uh, that, that you're making, you're producing, uh, you can throw it out on eBay, you can throw it out on Etsy or, or Amazon with relatively little investment, and you can sort of see what happens. Uh, are there people who are buying it? And, and in the beginning, that might be perfect for your business. Uh, but as time evolves, uh, it may get to the point where you want to transition off of those platforms because you do want to have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with your customer. You do want to have all of that information that they, they provide to Amazon, right? Like their name, address, and email. Because uh, you want to reach out to them. You want to sell them additional products. After all, they're your customer. Uh, they may buy it through some other channel, but they're your customer. And, and you know, managing your customer, owning, owning your customers, uh, and, and knowing how to reach out to them and to sell them additional products and to make sure they're happy and, and they're saying good things about you is really, really important. Yeah, it's huge. Um, the idea, too, that... It's like, okay, you know, if you want to go into Walmart or Bed Bath & Beyond or Home Depot, the order quantities that are going to be there are tremendous. Um, the nice thing about Amazon or eBay or Etsy is you can do small lots uh, so that you can control. When you're out, you're out. And it's not a huge deal. But the flip side of that is, okay, I order through Amazon and I leave the review on Amazon and that Amazon review gets picked up on other, site, uh, other review aggregators and it can really spin out of control in a hurry. So it's like there's this trade-off between, uh, again, control uh, over over the customer and 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 your ability to reach customers. So it's this it's this balance point. And I think you know the other th thing to think about is is if you once you start on a platform, it makes it hard to pull out of that platform because customers expect to find you there. Um, so if you're on eBay or you're on Amazon and then you go away, it's like okay, are you going to 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 lose those customers? Are they going to follow you to your new to your new channel, um, one that you do control. So, you know, there's a lot of room for innovation and hopefully this is something where, cause you know, you, you don't have to look too hard to see that a lot of small business people are pushing back against the Amazon model um, and the restrictions that they place on, especially on small sellers, um, that, that it's onerous and it's, and it's, uh, and it's difficult. Um, so, you know, I would say, hey, either Amazon will evolve, they've evolved several times and pivoted several times over the years. Um, or a new competitor will pop up and help entrepreneurs 
gain leverage, uh, a little more leverage back so that they have a little more control while getting some of the benefits in terms of scope. I mean, Kickstarter was that way and they ran into problems too, right? But it was the idea of being an alternative channel for entrepreneurs to get their, their products out. And that was very successful for a long time in Indiegogo too. Um, but those models are running into some issues too. So it is, it's an ever evolving space and it's an interesting space, at least from where I sit, um, to kind of watch these uh, new ways of reaching your customers evolve and develop. Yeah, well said, Mike. Well said. Is there any, any other points, or should we wrap this up? No, I think we can wrap it up. Um, so, you know, it's been another week. It's been another episode, Bela. It's This is a great interview, and uh, thanks for doing it. Uh, to our listeners, we're happy that you joined us in our podcasting adventure, and we hope you found it interesting and thought-provoking as well. So at this point, we'd like to once again thank Phillips Lytle LLP for sponsoring our podcast. Uh, if you need good, solid advice starting, funding, or selling a business, whether you're a single-person startup or working on a nine-figure exit, Bela and I confidently recommend the attorneys at Phillips Lytle. Hey, Bela, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with them? Well, for more information, you should contact Rich Honan, who, by the way, has been a guest uh, at least three times on this show. So if you go back to some of the episodes, uh, you can find him if you want to hear his voice and listen to the types of advice, thoughtful advice that he gives. Uh, but Rich is a partner at Phillips Lytle, and you can call him at 518-618-1225, or you can email him at rhonan at phillipslytle.com. And of course, you can always find his contact information in our show notes. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us this week. If you have questions about what we've discussed today, suggestions about topics or potential guests, please do feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And please do subscribe if you haven't already. We have lots of great guests in the pipeline. So until next week, signing off from upstate New York. Hey, Mike, have a great week. Thanks, Bela. I can't wait to hear your voice next week. So from over here in Münster, Germany, everybody stay safe and uh, be healthy. Thanks.